back to the Signary Information Nexus Podcast. And today, we're doing something a little special. My name is Mario Ortiz, and here with me as always, my co-host... Joseph Hamilton. And there is somebody else here, the man himself, the Dark Knight, if you will. <laughs> we have our managing partner, Richard Martin. Woo! Uh, <laughs> hey, guys, appreciate Appreciate you guys, but I do have one question before we get into this. Who bought all this equipment? When did we get a studio? Uh, I really want to know about this. Well, that was, um, I think that was Donald, right? Donald was the one that, that made sure all this happened and, and got us everything. I signed a contract. I actually can't break my NDA. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. No, it was, of course, our benevolent uh, leader, uh, Richard Martin, who made this podcast possible. Um, so kudos to him. We well, swear to him. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But yeah, no, I, you know, one of the one of the reasons why I want to do this podcast is because, um, you know, it, there's a couple of reasons, right? That um, you guys needed an outlet, right? We see and we deal with a lot of stuff on a daily basis. So you guys, you know, I wanted you to have some sort of outlet that was creative but still pertain to cybersecurity. and number two i got a lot of stuff to say to a lot of people and this is the perfect way to mass blast all the stuff i have to say uh, so uh, you guys have done an incredible job with the podcast uh, so far and i hope i don't tank it Oh, no, definitely not. And uh, so uh, to all of our uh, listeners out there, um, this is your fair warning. Uh, this is the uh, beginning of, uh, of what will be probably a recurring theme, which is Richard coming on the podcast and uh, just um, speaking his mind, uh, which is what we love about him. Um, so be prepared and uh, be entertained because you will be. I th- yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, be prepared and be entertained and please don't sue me. I think it's in the contract. They yeah. can't sue you. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, th- this this is a verbal contract right now. None of you are allowed to sue us uh, for anything we say. Uh, the this is for thirteen and over crowds too, right? So this is like PG thirteen. Uh, yeah, yeah. We okay. we don't we don't cuss on the on the podcast. Okay, um, we right. we're not doing the after hours episodes just yet. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe in the future we'll see. All right. Kind of parched. Just apple juice this time though. All right, gotcha, gotcha. All right, <laughs> all right, and. You know, speaking about that 13 and over, that pertains to what we're going to speak about. Not just 13 year olds, you know, because school affects everybody, you know, kindergarten all the way up to 12th graders, you know. And so one of the things that we definitely wanted to address is as all the students are coming back, I know all the tech directors are sweating. I've heard some cry, actually. So we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about best practices. And then I think uh, Richard also wants to go over a lot of what we're seeing in the uh, security environment, uh, uh, our threat um, environment today. Because um, I know we've had some major things go on recently. Right. So the the idea with this episode is kind of a back-to-school special, right? Um, and the because school has just started, and of course, a lot of our client base is K-12. Um, and being that being a large portion of our client base, we do see a lot of stuff that, you know, other organizations just don't have to go through, right? So K-12 is, is an environment that's different from a lot of organizations because they are open, 
right? It's education, so they they tend to be open, especially coming out of the the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, you know, with the remote learning and all of that, there was a lot of risk uh, introduced. Uh, to that, but now they're we're back, right? Uh, the the students are coming back, and everything's trying to to get back to normal. But even having said that, um, you know there are things that that we see pretty much year in year out, pandemic or not, that um, lead to uh, K twelve getting you know compromised with ransomware, uh, getting their accounts payable compromised. We worked a couple of cases like that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yesterday, a school in Texas was compromised with ransomware. This morning, we had a colleague of ours call us in a panic saying one of his clients was compromised with ransomware. So I wanted to do this episode to really highlight the risks faced by, by K-12 and really to go over the best practices. And it's not a lot, right? They're, we're not talking about reinventing the wheel, you know, compiling your own Linux kernel and starting over from scratch. We're talking about some basic, basic things that can really reduce the uh, risk, the overall risk from uh, a potential cyber attack, right? Uh, I guess then where where's best to start? What's <laughs> what's so, the first thing? <laughs> yeah, so I think I, I, I think the, the first thing for all K-12 is to really understand risk and what that is. Because it's easy to say, well, you know, we're not a target because we're K-12 and we're small, right? Well, that's a that's a myth. That's not the way the, the botnets work. Uh, they don't care who you are. They're just out there crawling the Internet, and if they find you there and you're vulnerable, you're, you're going to get popped. So what we advise clients is that you need to think about cybersecurity from a risk perspective, and there's an equation for that. It's uh, probability times impact equals your risk right and so what you want to do is you want to drive down probability and you want to drive down impact there is no way that you can eliminate risk you just can't do it in fact there's only three things you can do with risk you can accept it you can transfer it or you can mitigate it those are the only three things that you can do with risk so when we talk about driving down the the uh the components of the equation we want to drive down probability and we want to drive down impact. And so that's how we talk to our clients about it, mm-hmm. right? That's and, and we come at it from that perspective. And that sounds kind of insurancy and lawyer, you know, like a like attorney speak and, and stuff like that. But it's really a simple, simple concept. You have to understand that you are probably going to be a target at some point and you're, you're probably going to have a weakness that you there's no way you can mitigate it. So how do you drive down the probability that you're going to get attacked? And then how do you drive down the impact if that attack is successful? And so that that's basically where to start with uh, assessing an environment from, uh, especially in K-12. Let's start off with impact then. Yeah. Um, what what can they do to lessen that impact? So when when we talk about impact, right, we we talk about the impact to the organization as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. So say let and let's specifically focus in on ransomware because that's the big thing these days. So say you uh, there a ransomware uh, attack gang uh, gets into your network, right? Uh, the forget the probability; it's already occurred, right? 
So what's the impact of that? Well, it depends, right? It's going to depend on how where you're defended on the inside and how quick you can recover. And this goes into one of the things that we need to address, right? And that is uh, backup and recovery. So they come in, they, uh, you know, encrypt all the data. First, they're probably going to extract it and then encrypt it on site, but that's a, that's a separate issue. But they encrypt your data and now um, what you have to do is decide, hey, how am I going to restore my systems, right? And this is where backup and recovery comes in. Now, backup and recovery from a uh, uh, incident response perspective is like, you know, 101. That's that's like, you know, uh, cyber risk 101. Of course, you, you, you're probably going to have backups. But the problem is, is, as we found in the Colonial Pipeline incident, is how do you know that you can restore all of your backups when you need to? So the, the major thing that we advise our clients is it's great that you have backups, but we, we really advise a three, two, one strategy. You wanna have three copies, two on-site and one off-site. Uh, and by off-site, well, it means in the cloud somewhere, right? right? So even if your backups on-site get encrypted, you still got that backup in the cloud. But what we also recommend is, the, um, is a full test restore every year and i mean a full test restore because i don't care how good you think you are one restoring one file or one directory is not going to give you enough data to allow you to understand that yeah if i do get encrypted it's not going to be a big deal i'll rebuild the environment and restore all the data right you need to fully test your your backups and that means a full restore at least annually well and i know i've heard you uh tell this story a few different times about um, a, a client in the past that had all their backups ready to go um, and they said that it would they would be fine and then you looked at the connection the the uh, the throughput that they had on their connection to uh, uh, to their uh, their main network and it would have taken them 40 years to yeah so back up. I mean that's the colonial pipeline um, uh, uh, analogy right so that yeah so if you're so you have to do a little math on that if you are pushing a one gigabit pipe and that's your that's your max throughput and you've got um, you know 500 gigs or a terabyte worth of data how long is it going to be just to get that data back right right? And there are organizations that out there that they they back up to Amazon Cloud, and they don't know that there's a cost associated with bringing that data back down as well, right? Mm -hmm. So there's all these things that the organization uh, should consider. But primarily, you know, I don't care how you back it up, just back it up. Have it, you know, have it on site and also have it in the cloud, but you need to do that full that full restore test so you can understand what those time constraints are and what the cost is associated with that in case you're backing up to somebody like Amazon who charges you to bring that data back down, right? There's all of those things. And that is something that um, most organizations, especially in K-12, they just don't do. They think they've got a backup. Well, we're backed up, so we're, we're fine. And you guys have been around here long enough to know that the ransomware incidents that we work, you know, we tell them, well, did you have your backups? Well, yeah, but they were ransomware. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were in the file they were share. On site. They were in the, they were in the file share we were backing up. 
or in the case of 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 one organization it was a it was a freaking three terabyte uh external drive plugged into the domain controller like usb damn uh yeah i mean (laughs) so yeah so so what's the impact of that organization if the probabilities if it's already occurred and your backup is on a three terabyte drive external drive hooked into your by usb to your uh domain controller yeah that impact's going to be pretty high right Mm -hmm. and also if you don't know that if you don't know what your uh if you can fully restore then your impact could be high as well so always you know backup 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 think about where you're going to back up to and then test that restore at least annually just to make sure and i know it's a pain in the ass to do that but but it will <laughs> it will oh but yes and there and there goes our pg-13 rating or <laughs> oh, off apple um but, but seriously it will it will help in the long run if you understand that right because management doesn't know we've got tech directors telling management no we're, we're not don't worry about it because we've got backups and management's like okay you know they th- th- my guy's telling me we got backups but nobody's tested them so they don't know yeah we've got backups but it's going to take us 13 years to restore all this crap <laughs> yeah. right right I guess that's uh, the basic principle of not just having one point of failure right 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 right, right. absolutely on that Right, so we've we've driven down impact. How do we dri- drive down the possibility of the attack? Now? Yeah, so there, there. That's like the big thing, right? So, in our business, especially in K twelve, where we see there's there's two things that we see, and you guys know this because you deal with it day in and day out. Vulnerabilities, patch management, huge absolutely huge i can't tell you how many organizations that we've dealt with over the past 12 months that have stuff facing the internet whether it be exchange esxi whatever it is that has you know critical vulnerabilities and nobody thought to check on it right it's not patched and when the bot drives by is it hey look at there there's a window open i'm gonna crawl in it right and oh by the way there's lots of treasure inside here right and so, you know, patch management is a huge part of it. That if organizations would just patch their stuff, that, you know, they would drive down the probability of a successful attack quite a bit, right? Another thing is, and you hear this all the time, but I'm going to say it anyway, is train, training your end users because another high vector of attack, I don't know that, um, so a couple of years ago, it was like phishing was the number one attack vector, and now it could be you know vulnerable systems on the on the edge. But uh, training your end users, right, and training them in a way that um, where they actually you know take in the information. Phishing is a big attack vector, big attack vector, and you guys again know this because you deal with this on a daily basis. The, the amount of emails that educators will get in their inbox and sometimes they just don't have the the knowledge or the know-how to recognize what's fake and what's legit and you know it looks like it's coming from my you know from my IT department to change my password so okay I'm gonna click on the link right mm-hmm. the other thing about phishing attacks is sometimes it comes from a legit email that's already been compromised 
right? Fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you get an organization that's already been compromised, start phishing another organization from those compromised emails, right? And then, you know, you give up uh, passwords. That's how those two accounts payable hacks happened a couple of weeks ago, right? Those were legitimate emails that had already been hacked that came into accounts payable and, you know, costing the organization tens of thousands of dollars by sending money to an attacker on that. So training your end users, following up with them, making sure that they understand. We really recommend, uh, you know, monthly training. Hmm. I know it's hard. Uh, it's tough, but okay. You want to drive down probability of attack of a successful attack, train your end users, you know, test them. I'm not saying that you, that you need to fire them if they fail the test or anything like that, but you know, put them in some sort of remedial training if they keep failing the test. Right. Right. And, and you know, hopefully that will, that will drive down the, the probability on that. So those, those are two big things, right. Uh, to help drive down the probability. There's another one that we don't talk about enough of, and that's multi-factor authentication. Now, I knew I'm, you are going to go there. I love yeah. that buzzword. <laughs> so, and, it, and it's become a buzzword, right? And there are boffins out there in the InfoSec uh, world that will say, yeah, but you know what I can do. I can, I can spoof a page, and then they're going to get the two-factor, and I'm going to uh, have my page uh, redirect to a two-factor authentication code, and I'm going to steal that. Uh, they're going to put that in to my page, and I'm going to steal that too, so it doesn't really work. Okay, but but here's the thing. Is it a reasonable control to have two-factor authentication in place? Yes. Does it drive down the probability of a successful attack? Yes, it does. Is it foolproof? Nothing is foolproof. Hmm. I mean, unless you want to, you know, take your entire environment, cut it off from the Internet, and bury it at under 10 feet of concrete, you know, nothing is foolproof. Everything is air-gapped. <laughs> 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 I think um, the multi-factor authentication is going to become way more important uh, as we go forward. And for anybody in K-12 that's going to listen to this podcast, I'm going to tell them, I know, I know it's going to be a pain in the ass and you're going to hate it. You are going to hate it, but it's absolutely necessary. It is absolutely necessary to do because if you don't, you're going to get hacked. And, oh, by the way, change your passwords ever so often, too. Change them to, you know, a long, you know, 13-character, you know, 16-character, whatever the NIST standard is these days. Yeah, they probably shouldn't use the same password for every account either. I, you know, the spring 20 or fall 2022 exclamation point is not a secure password. Yeah, at this point, I'm going to have everyone refer back to our passwords episode. We do talk about password managers. It'd be a great fix for that particular issue. And I think, I think actually NIST is now, uh, and y'all may have talked about this mm-hmm. in the password episode. Yeah, that NIST is uh, now saying that you don't have to change your password like every six months. No, no, they actually they actually say you don't have to change your password unless there's an indicator that it's been compromised. Right. Um, the main thing is to keep up entropy and to have unique passwords for every login. Right. Um, because that's going to help secure you more than anything else. Little uh, second law of thermodynamics there, entropy. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, so I do have a question about the multi-factor authentication yeah. then. Um, because I know that there are disparate services that all these clients have so is are there are there certain things that are more important to have multi-factor authentication on Uh, is it just a hey you need to get everywhere or is it you know just 
just minor things that need to yeah so so if you have to choose right if you have to choose choose your high risk uh uh jobs right your role do role based right if i compromise a teacher what have i got maybe i get some grades on some students right but if i compromise the finance director or payroll Mm. i mean that's really and so those guys you definitely want to have multi-factor authentication of two-factor authentication those two ap attacks that we worked a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. both of those would have been prevented with a two-factor authentication i mean just flat out those guys from africa they didn't have the phone you know right so you know that would have prevented that and um, it, it's really sad because what we hear over and over again is, well, I've tried to implement, like the IT directors tell us, I've tried to implement it, but it's, uh, I'm getting pushback. And I don't know if you guys ever saw that, that episode of uh, Seinfeld, the Festivus episode. You're too young for that, Mario. Right. <laughs> and they had the they, uh, in this episode of Seinfeld they were uh, they were celebrating a fake holiday called Festivus it was supposed to replace you know Christmas and, and all of that and there was the traditions of Festivus one of them being the airing of grievances and uh, one of the characters stands up and says I've got problems with all of you people and now you're going to hear about it right <laughs> so where was I going with that uh, the, the, they get the pushback. Oh, pushback. Yeah, right. Pushback from tech directors. Yeah. Right. So, or for tech directors. Yeah. So one of the um, one of the interesting things that uh, one of the tech directors did when you know when I would I would consult with them and tell them, hey, you know, you really need to get this done. Is the tech director finally got fed up and said, hey, um, what I'm going to do? is I'm going to write a letter to the superintendent and I'm going to ask him to sign it to accept that risk. And I was like, that's a brilliant idea. And you know what he did? He slid across the superintendent's desk and the superintendent slid it back and said, okay, we'll do multi-factor authentication. <laughs> because the tech director knows that if the, if the shit goes down, it's his ass. Yeah, oh, we've definitely so lost if, that PG-13 So if rating. the things go down, it will be him <laughs> who is in trouble. There. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry about that. It's I, cre- okay. I created these rules. <laughs> he is giveth, and he will also take. That's right. We, we might just have to put a little e mark on this one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, let's see here. So we talked about driving down uh, the possibility of risk. We tra- uh, probability. Probability. probability, not possibility, because it's always possible. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we talked about driving down the probability. We talked about driving down the impact. Um, is there anything else really that can be done? Uh, or I guess the next thing that really we should talk about is what is it that they should be looking for as far as, uh, you know, how can I tell maybe, and obviously we do a lot of this for them, mm-hmm. but what is it that maybe they should alert us on if they see or or that if they see something happening, it, they should maybe look into it a little bit further yeah so i'd say if they walk into their data center and they've got stuff on fire you know that's something not to call us about because we can't do anything about that (laughs) (laughs) kind of hot in here if they need cable run don't call us on that that's not that's not what we do but anything out of the ordinary right i mean we, we so what we do is we look for 
not only malicious activity, but also just anomalous activity, right? Stuff that doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And so most most uh, IT directors out there in K-12 have some sort of network monitoring. And I'm, I'm not talking about MDR. I'm talking about true on like bandwidth, CPU utilization type monitoring. If they see any of that stuff spike, you know, you need to investigate it, right? It, it, it could be nothing. It's probably nothing. But you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. The other thing is correlate that with other things in the environment. Um, correlation does wonders for your peace of mind. So if you have a bandwidth spike and you correlate that, say, to AV, and AV's not showing anything, right, it could be fine. It could be fine. However, if you've got a spike in bandwidth traffic and you've got machines that are throwing AV alerts left and right, yeah, there could be something going on. And so I think correlation... Uh, would would benefit as well. The other thing that um, would really help, uh, especially in K-12, is if they purged all their data in the file shares. I, Go ahead I, I, don't, I don't think they can do that. Elaborate a little bit more. So <laughs> in today's day and age, we have these ERP systems, right? These enterprise resource programs, right? And mm-hmm. um, there, there are some really. I'm not going to go into the into the providers because you know legally, I don't know if I can, and I don't want to get in trouble with anybody. But um, that data is there, right? But we humans have a habit of, especially us data driven humans have a habit of downloading stuff in spreadsheets so that we can play with it and mm-hmm. analyze it and do everything that we need to do with it, uh, pr- produce our reports and our charts and our graphs, and you know it helps us do our, do our job. And then we stick it somewhere because we ne- may need to refer to it later. And we just leave it there for forever. And we leave it there, right? Mm. And a year goes by, and another year goes by, and another year goes by. And pretty soon, you've got... Uh, you've got your file shares full of stuff that nobody's even looked at since 2008 and is not needed to be there, right? You just don't need that stuff there. The other thing that, uh, and this is especially true in K-12, and I'm not beating up on K-12 for this. It's just what we see, mm-hmm. that they love to download like records like social security numbers and bank account numbers and put those in spreadsheets and stick those somewhere because they they are needed for other reporting, right? And so they will use that. Uh, they'll download that stuff from their ERP. They'll house it in an Excel spreadsheet or a document, use that to produce some sort of report that they need to give to the state or the feds or whatever, but then they leave it there, right? They leave it in the file share. And so... Once you once you have an, a a ransomware attack these days, what these guys what the ransomware guys are doing is they're sitting they're getting access to the network and they're there for weeks or months before anybody knows that they're there. And what they're doing is they're exfiltrating all of that data. And the reason why they exfiltrate it is because they've got the organization one of two ways. You're going to pay me regardless. You're going to pay me um, for the decryptor key so you can decrypt all your data and get back to work 
or if you got backups and you can restore all your backups, you're going to pay me so I don't release all this data on the dark web, right? They've, mm-hmm. they've got you one of two ways. I'm not saying it's foolproof, but we've worked cases. We worked one last year where the organization that got compromised had records going back all the way to 2012. I mean, it was stupid, the number of gigabytes of data that was sitting in their file shares, stuff that they didn't need any longer, right? And so what we advise clients is your finance teams, your HR teams, your student teams, all those people that do do the reporting that need that sensitive information, download it to do your job if you need to do that, uh, make your reports, and then get rid of it. Because mm-hmm. if you ever need to rebuild that report, guess what? It's in the source repository. You can go back and recreate it. It's not as easy as just having it there, but you can always go back and recreate it. And if you do need to keep stuff, try not to keep it past 24 months, right? Don't have years and years and years worth of this stuff just sitting around because it's going to come back and bite you eventually. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's expensive to back up, right? You, you've got, you've got, you're backing up stuff that you don't need to back up. And plus, just all the redundancy. Because, you know, person X has that report has created that report and saved it but also sent it to person b who also sent it to person c so now you got three copies of that thing sitting around so yeah purge purge your data in your file shares as often as possible all right i mean all that made a lot of sense to me the the question is is uh, how how do we write the executive report in order to let other people know about it people who are not in this world continually. The reporting on all this stuff that we see is very qualified, right? And I talked to all you guys about qualifying your words and choosing your words carefully. When you, What you want to do is really kind of, you know, say, scream, you know, this is the third time that we've written the same thing, you know, over and over again. And I get it, man. These, uh, Especially in K-12, these tech directors, man, they, they face an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with, um, usually they're dealing with management that doesn't really understand what they need. I think they're supportive. I think management's supportive, but I don't think they, it's, for management, it's just another thing to manage, right? IT is just another thing to manage. And they got to manage students and, and state reporting and federal reporting and grants and, you know, bond issues that come up. So they got a lot to juggle. Um, and I think our vocabulary is different, right? Yeah. And so when when the tech directors speak to uh, management about what they need, um, they're not. Sometimes they don't uh, put it in terms that management can understand. But if they convert that language to risk, all managers understand risk. They understand probability impact. They understand risk, especially in K twelve. They understand the front page risk. Right. right? We, all, we all speak money. Well, right, right, right. right. Well, I know. I know you speak money. It's why you don't get any. Sponsored? Someone sponsor us, please. I need a paycheck. <laughs> Your name here, <laughs> brought brought to you by Copenhagen. <laughs> yeah, we just got a sponsor. <laughs> but uh, no, and and so the other thing is, is that money is tight, especially here in Texas. Educational funds are tight. Um, there there could be a lot of reasons for that, but you know, money for IT and. And for K-12 in the state of Texas, it's just tight. It just is. And it's sad that the legislature passed a really good law uh, back in 2018 mandating that all 
um, ISDs in the state of Texas have some sort of cybersecurity framework in place, but they didn't fund it. It's an right. un- unfunded mandate, right? I don't know how to fix that, right? I, I just don't. That's that's going to be like a, you know, union uh, lobbyist thing to to try to fix, but it doesn't it doesn't cost any money to look at your file shares. Mm-hmm. It probably costs very little money to imp- implement dual factor authentication. I think it's native, like on Office. You know, you can just turn it on. Right. Um, Google, I think you can just turn it on and it works. And a lot of services that are linked to there, I've noticed that uh, they actually require it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But, you know, the strange thing is, I think the two big, like, student information system providers here in Texas, I don't think they do. I don't think they even offer it as an option. So you've Mm. got an ERP system that doesn't offer two-factor authentication. So... with that being the case, how would you go about, uh, because like, so I use some things for, for my school with MCC, um, that uses, uh, like duo. Right. 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 So how, how do they go about making sure that they can implement things like that? Third party. So, yeah, I don't know. It would be, it would be vendor specific. They would have mm-hmm. to get, they would have to get with the vendors on that. And maybe there's a single sign on type solution. Uh, for those uh, for those ERP systems, uh, I don't I don't know how you know how to solve that particular issue either. Other than to, you know, ask the vendor, would you please <laughs> implement this? Implement two factor authentication <laughs> for um, for for your clients. I mean, we um, we do two factor authentication for everything that we build, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not that difficult to implement. I, I just don't know why they why they don't do it. You know, it should be that should be standard. My guess is those applications were built so long ago that nobody thought about two-factor authentication back then, and they just haven't been updated. Either that, or they're written in a language that nobody really understands anymore. Tale as old as time. Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> now they could probably do it in Pearl. It's uh, something like you know. It's just like the VA is all written in Cobalt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 Cobalt, dude. So, so Cobalt's a thing in local government. Yeah, I mean, there are mainframes out there. Uh, we dealt with a with a with a county here in Texas that, that their freaking ERP was a mainframe, and I haven't seen. And so, I mean, I'm a I'm way older than you guys, and I remember like coming up in the world and using an AS400, which was a what they consider a mini frame, or a you know kind of a mid frame type thing but it was all like green text dummy terminal and you know had a big copper cable plugged into the back of it but yeah local government's been on a lot of local government's been on that stuff forever Mm. i mean forever and that that definitely sounds like an episode we wish to have in the future the wacky things the tale of richard martin as well oh as yeah force that is definitely <laughs> the, something the, we're the astonishing explore. tales of richard martin and donald the force yeah. yeah that's definitely something we're going to look forward to yeah that's going to be an ongoing series at some point <laughs> yeah i think that you know you know getting back to k-12 i you know again they've got unique challenges right but as we um you know as we go around we see the same things over and over again it doesn't matter where the the school is or the isd is it's the same issues that we see over and over again very little mfa or two-factor authentication out there 
There's very little. I mean, so I've got some stats here. Did y'all know, right, that when we go into an environment as a, as a company, we go into a K-12 environment, 85% of the time, the environment has critical unpatched issues in the environment. And we're not talking like we developed a zero day and now we can get into everything. We're talking like Blue Key, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Eternal Blue, the Server 2003. Things that have been known for a while. We So we've seen stuff. We know that there is a Windows 2000 NT server sitting in production right now. You know, I wouldn't have believed it if I wasn't working for him. <laughs> right. we, the, I was like, what, Tuesday? <laughs> we haven't seen anything like that since the Clinton administration. Well, I mean, you did. You saw it the other day. Oh, right, 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 right. But before that, before that, I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing. In fact, I have this theory that it can't be hacked. Nobody can hack it. Oh, because no one knows how anymore. Right. It doesn't have the, uh, the concept of domain admin. It's got enterprise admin. You know, that, that would be an interesting defense strategy, using things that are so old that just no one knows how to get to them anymore. I say let's go back to Windows 3.1 and see what happens. <laughs> and just put it out there facing the Internet. 3.1? We all hated Windows 8. So Windows 3.1 was different than Windows 3 because Windows 3.1 was with networking. Ooh. That's old school, yo. <laughs> For Rizzle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. So, MFA, get uh, do the vulnerability scanning. For our clients, we do that, right? We do that, but we don't patch. We don't patch their stuff. So, please, please, please patch your stuff. Uh, get rid of your out-of-date deployments if you can. I know there's a lot of problems with apps that will not migrate from Windows 2003 or 2008 to Windows 2019, the server 2019, but work with the vendor and get that done. At the very least, VLAN it off and get it separate um, so that it that it's safer than, than most. Uh, look at your file shares. You know, uh, get get your file shares fixed not only from a purge of regulatory protected data but the number of file shares that we can look at just with low level domain creds is insane right so look at your group policies look at where your um what your users have access to and police that and of course purge the data you know train your users right once a month it it and training doesn't have to be they have to sit down in a classroom, right? And and you're showing them a PowerPoint. Training could be, hey, I'm going to send send out a reminder. Hey, be aware that people are trying to fish you, and maybe that's all it is. Backups, the three, two, one strategy, right? Three backups, two on site, one off site, preferably in the cloud, and then test your restore point, uh, your restore, a full system restore at least annually. You got any other stats you can throw our way? So, yes, I do. We like numbers. Numbers are good. So, of our clients, and these are these are assessments that we've done since um, June 2021. So, these are just, so this encompasses a, a little over a year. And this is 86 assessments that we've done. S- of those 86 assessments, 73% um, have file shares available to low-level domain users. 
So these would be like student in K twelve. These would be student level uh, users. Thirty five percent of the time, we've been able to obtain domain administrative credentials using our student provided credentials. And what that means is that um, IT folks like to be efficient because they don't have a lot of help and they need to do stuff really quickly. So they will write scripts, batch scripts that um, have domain admin uh, credentials. credentials in the scripts. And so they can join machines to the domain really quickly. And the problem is, is that when you do that and you stick that in a file share that 73% of your students have, or 73% of the time students can access, it, it's a no-brainer. You're going to be able to get domain admin. And and guess what? When when an attacker comes in and he sees that, it, it, they're not doing anything special, right? They're doing the same thing that we do. We go in and we look right. at the file shares to see what we can find, see if we can uh, elevate our privileges, right? 85% of all organizations uh, in these 86 assessments, 86% had missing critical patches. I mean, think about that. That's almost all, right? Right. That's, I mean, that's astonishing. That's an astonishing number. And if I was, say, a state agency in charge of education here in the, in the state of Texas, that number would frighten me, right? That number would frighten me. Okay, so 93% of the assessments we do not see segmentation vlan segmentation and that pertains to acls and right. what that may help with i'm not saying it's 100 percent, but what segmentation may allow you to do is contain help contain a virus or an outbreak to a specific vlan if you've got proper segmentation in place and that's access control list uh, in the switches right you don't want it spreading to your core if you can help it now i know there are ways around that and everything but again what we're talking about trying to drive down the probability and impact here remember segmentation without acls does nothing yeah that's just that's just yeah that's just a flat network under a different name <laughs> yep it's a flat network but we like to color different sections <laughs> right right you know and 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 again it's important to note that all of these issues that we find this isn't like because people are um they don't know what they're doing there's some very brilliant uh guys that that we deal with day in and day out at these organizations it's time and it's money mm. right you you've got those cisco switches that have been sitting there forever and you, you they're out of license so you can't patch them but you can't get money to replace them because that's going to be a you know a three hundred thousand dollar project and you know we can use three hundred thousand dollars elsewhere is it really that critical this year well no not this year i don't guess but at some point we're going yeah we'll get to you we'll get to you right we'll give you the money to do all that um we need a new football stadium yeah right right and the in the so this this idea of deferred maintenance Mm -hmm. um happens everywhere it happens in um in your active directory deployment. I mean, AD was probably set up in most of these organizations 10, 12, 15 years ago, right? And gone through multiple different directors, different people maintaining them. And evolved, like, you know, they deployed an app that integrated with AD, but it didn't work right, so you did some stuff in AD to make it work, and you didn't go back and see what kind of security holes you, you know, you opened up with that. We see that a lot. And, of course, it's not even looking at the fact that the threat landscape has evolved over that period.
period of time as well. Right. So you're looking at 10 years ago, the things that people were worried about, the, the things that they thought were possible uh, have completely changed over that time and, and how they secure networks, everything. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the, there's a, there, there has been a myth out there, right, that if you were a small organization, you didn't have to worry about anything because you weren't going to get attacked. The ransomware gangs were just, they were not after you because you don't have the big money, right? And that's true to some extent, but nine times out of ten, when an organization gets compromised, the ransomware gang may not even know that an organization has been compromised until they go and log in and see, okay, who did I get this week, Right? And even at that, they, you know, there are stories where ransomware gangs will encrypt like hospitals and they will, you know, like a week later, they'll figure out, oh, I've got a hospital. Holy crap. That's bad. Right. And that's bad PR for a ransomware gang. (laughs) Imagine that. So they'll give them the decryptor keys. Right. Because they don't they're not doing it actively. Mm -hmm. This is a botnet driven thing that occurs and so a lot of times they don't even know what they've compromised you know until a week two weeks later it's just an ip address to them. it's just an ip address to them and so they're crawling the internet so if you've got 100 ips or you're bigger target yeah but just because you got a larger footprint right but the the small guy with one ip is if he's got a if he's got a, a critical vulnerability facing the edge he's just as likely to get to get uh, owned as anybody else, right? That's kind of nice. So it's kind of like you know when you order a pizza and it's thirty minutes, you know, past the delivery right. day. Ransomware does the same thing. If it's been too long, we'll, we'll give you the key back. We'll try again another time, dude. There is like so. I did some. I did some looking into Hive Ransomware Group this week because of you know the the thing that happened yesterday, and um, in their ransom note they say you know for. If you need an inquiry into how to get your data, contact our sales department. Right. Full-on corporation style. I mean, it's just insane, right? It is insane. And all these dudes are freaking pirates, you know, trying to uh, dress up as legitimate business or what they consider legitimate business, right? And, and, And they'll tell themselves that and they'll tell the world that, well, we're doing you a favor. Right, we're telling you how vulnerable everything is, and you know it's, that's just insane, just insane. I, they, they've comprom- Vice Society freaking compromised a, a hospice provider, and um, Hive uh, compromised a veterans outreach program. I mean, <laughs> yeah, these guys don't care. No, no, they, they don't care who you are. They don't care what you're doing. All they care about is being able to get their money and the opportunity. Right, right, right. And so when ransomware started back in, you know, I, when it became really big, 2014, 2015, uh, the, the note, the ransomware note would come with an amount. They don't even tell you the amount anymore because a lot of times they don't even know who they've got. So they need to figure out who they've got so they can figure out how much money they can charge. Right. And or how much data they've got and how much they can charge for that, right? Some, some of them, we, we worked a, a deal uh, not too many months ago, just, just right down the road here, and it was a small marketing firm, right? And they, I think they were holding hostage for like 10 grand. Like 10 grand will give you your stuff back. Um, you know, as a percentage, that's a lot of money to that small marketing firm. That was a lot of money. You know, the right. Colonial Popline, they wanted what, 10 million, 8 million, something like that? Yeah, something. And I think they negotiated it down to 5 million. And then paid it. Well, and then the FBI got it back for him. So it's well, all okay. The 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 funny thing about that story, <laughs> the funny thing about that story is, uh, and I don't, and this may not be right, but this is this is what um, I read on some of the interwebs, 
is that they actually paid the money uh, to get the decryptor key. And there was some dude, like little mathematician sitting in the corner, who actually did the math and said, okay, we've got the decryptor key, but at the rate that this thing is decrypting, it's going to take 10 years to decrypt all this data. And so they had already paid the money as well. Well, let's go back to backups. And that same dude said, well, it'll take 15 years to restore all of our backups. You know, something something like that. I, I'm sure that's not exactly right, but it was it was something like that. And so, you know, I think they finally wound up restoring their their backups and the FBI went and got their money back for them. But if you're a small organization, you can forget that. Right. Yeah. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. If, if you pay the money, it's just gone for reals. I, I think I think the biggest thing is is that if the if our clients focus on on the things that you're talking about, um, it will help them in that uh, in that arena, and we are there for them as well. And then in the broader area, as far as like the rest of Texas, the rest of the United States, anyone that hears this podcast, these are things that they can definitely do on their own networks if they if they manage their own networks um, to help mitigate their risk. And, and I think as long as people are, are focusing on that, maybe, just maybe, the ransomware won't win for a day. Well, right, right, <laughs> right. I mean, so the, 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 the whole idea is, at least from my perspective, right, is to think about what, where your risks are. And I, and I laid out six or seven of them there. And we know this because we work these cases and we see this day in and day out. So we we feel like that we've got a pretty good handle on if these six or seven things are taken care of, you're going to reduce the probability of attack and you're going to drastically reduce the impact of any attack that is successful. And is that is that a surefire way to prevent anything? No, there's nothing out there that's going to 100% protect anybody. It's just not possible, right? But again, don't try to get down to a, it's not a zero-sum game. Don't try to get down to no risk because you're, you're not going to do it. Try to lower where you can. Be reasonable about these things, and you will be in far better position, far better position than a lot of organizations that are out there. And I will say, based on what we've seen from the uh, the incidents that we've worked, if those cases would have implemented, you know, just three or four of these things, mm-hmm. right, and, and done those fairly well, um, they wouldn't have been, you know, hacked. It wouldn't have been an issue, right? They'd have saw a blip and they'd have moved on. And I, and I think another thing that's important to uh, address with this is this is all stuff that is a, a little bit uh, costly, but it is all attainable. It's all yeah, achievable. Right, right, right. We're not talking to go out and install the $300,000 piece of firewall equipment that's, you know, going to geofence and do all the fancy things that firewall, fourth-gen firewalls do these days. You don't have to do that. It, it helps, right? You, mm-hmm. Again, you're lowering probability, but you don't necessarily have to do that if you just take care of – I call it basic blocking and tackling. If you take care of these basic things that just take – a lot of time sometimes but once you get them done it's done you know yeah and then you review it annually every other you know twice a year something like that you're going to be in much better position that basic blocking and tackling really really helps and will really um really save an organization in the in the long run again it's not it's not 100 but it's going to help and i definitely 
kind of think about the one thing you told us when oh, we were interns. Oh, no. Uh, you know, because you talk about, you know, tackling everything and reviewing it. And that's one of the things that you have to do for best practice to reduce all of the different issues, right? Yeah. Because it's never zero, but it is an interesting thought that uh, if you're doing everything right, you will never receive acknowledgement. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, you you guys know that if, if we do our jobs right, then nobody knows we're here, right, except we have this podcast because <laughs> I want people to know that we're here. But, <laughs> um, but our clients won't know that we're here, right? If we do our job correctly, we interact with them when we need to interact with them, right? But we're not having to do incident response, um, they're not hitting the front page of the paper, um, none of that stuff. And what I mean by us doing our jobs correctly is we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is not just watching their network for malware and this malicious and anomalous activity, but also conveying the urgency that we see on these networks, right? When we see that um, uh, an organization that we're trying to take care of has... 50, you know, critical vulnerabilities on 25 internal IP addresses and they're not fixing it, we have to look at ourselves, are we communicating this correctly, right? Are we communicating well enough for these guys to understand how serious this is? So we Mm -hmm. do have that responsibility, right? And so if we do that correctly and they, and they hear us, right? And they, and they listen to us and we, we advise them they need to take care of this stuff. Um, you know, if we do our job correctly, they do take care of that stuff because we have conveyed that sense of urgency and we have said it in a manner that they understand, they get, and, you know, they go and fix whatever it, it is they need to fix. And, you know, we, we also, you know, if they need to do a screen share or whatever, I mean, we do that as well, right? If, if you mm-hmm. don't know how to do it, that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll get on a screen share. We'll figure it out together, right? Um, we're not experts in, you know, any one. Uh, we can't be experts in any in all devices, right? Right, right. Palo Alto, SonicWall, we can't be those experts, right? But we know enough to get around, right? And we mm-hmm. can figure it out together uh, on that stuff. So, yeah, if we do our job our, our job correctly, um, yeah, our clients should hardly notice that we're here, except around, you know, renewal time when they say, who are these guys? Right. Why are we sending these guys? We never hear from these guys, right? That means we're doing something right. Yeah, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. If you're out there and you haven't heard from us in a while, it means you're doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Are you guys planning on staying here all night? Because I'm tired. And that was our managing uh, partner of sales, uh, Richard Martin, and he was giving us our back to school special. Uh, thank you, Richard Martin, for coming on today and uh, and being with us. And um, you guys will hear from him a multitude of times including an upcoming episode that we already have planned and in the works uh, the story of the rise of cyanary cybersecurity, as told by Donald LaForce and Richard Martin so please everyone look forward to that one because we're going to have a lot of fun with it I, I, I definitely I know that um, again as always uh, we invite you to uh, come uh, look at our website at cyanary.com or our blog at cyanary.com slash blog 